He's probably deleting all the naked pictures of himself off of his phone. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 7 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our crew we have John Papa. Hey everybody from sunny Florida. Lucas Rubelke. Hey everybody from sunny Phoenix. Joe Eames. Hey everybody from sunny Utah. I'm Charles Maxwood from sunny Utah as well. That's a lie. (laughs) The cake is a lie. We also have a special guest, Tyler Rennell. Yeah, from Salt Lake City. Is it sunny? It's sunny. Awesome. It's supposed to be really warm today. Ugh. Oh, good. Like 80 degrees? Uh, high 80s. 88. Like we brought you on today to talk about Habit RPG. Yes, my pride and joy AngularJS project. H- how does AngularJS apply to rocket-propelled grenades? <laughs> we get a few of those, so it's obviously Habit RPG stands for Habit Role-Playing Game, kind of a throwback to Mario RPG, Super Nintendo game. Every once in a while, we'll get a, a tweet that says, so I can destroy my habits with missiles, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need a sound bite for that. Yeah, we do. Or said Ace Ventura Popeye Laugh. I think that would be an appropriate yeah. sound effect for that. That would be a good one. So tell us about Habit RPG. Sure. So it's a video game for improving real-life habits. It's a fantasy role-playing game, and the way you progress in the game is by accomplishing real-life goals. So when you do good things in real life, like going to the gym and eating healthy, you get experience and gold. And when you do bad things in real life, like smoking a cigarette, forgetting to take out the trash, then you lose hit points. And it's a social MMORPG. It's not really interactive. There's not a whole lot of animations and stuff, but... You fight bosses, you go on quests, you join a party, and it's got the whole, it's like got like a class system. You can be a warrior, a healer, a rogue, etc. and they all interact with the party in different ways. So it's this social accountability MMORPG for improving real life habits, kind of World of Warcraft for self improvement. I have to say, I'm usually pretty good. Well, I won't say pretty good, but I'm usually decent at online games. I totally sucked at Habit RPG. <laughs> There's like, a very effective strategy to playing it. And at first you kind of think you're working around the system and then you realize that's the way it's intended to play. So the things you're bad at turn red over time and you learn to start focusing on your shortcomings and ignoring the things you're good at and just take the hit for the things. So, so for example, if you go to the gym every day, but you haven't done your one hour of personal project coding for a very long time, your go to the gym daily will get really blue and it's not worth very much value. Whereas your personal project daily gets really red and it starts hurting you really bad. So you learn to ignore all the blues on your list and focus on the reds. And at first it seems like you're kind of working around the system, but it ter- but that's exactly how it's intended to play is to help you focus on stuff you're really bad at. So you just kind of have to get into the swing of how it plays. How long has it been around and has it always been in Angular? No, it's been on three platforms. It used to be on Rails. Uh, so it's been around for three years. It was just an open source project. So it started off as just like a personal project. I was using it on my own computer on localhost 3000 as a Rails app. Yay, and I never, Rails. yeah, <laughs> and I never intended to release it to the public. 
initially. And then I'd heard about all this Node.js hotness. So I just kind of wanted to sink my teeth into that framework and get experience with it. So I converted it to Derby.js. Has any, anybody ever heard of Derby? No. Um, nope. Anybody know Meteor.js? Yes. Yes. So about two years ago, it was Meteor's biggest contender. Okay. Got it. I think they actually, I think the authors were like, they had some sort of mind share. They were friends or they like bounced the idea off each other in a coffee shop or something like this. And they went off and did their own things and they're, they're architected very similarly. And they achieved the exact same goal. So the whole, the, the, the goal is an end to end real time isomorphic JavaScript framework. It, it's kind of like Rails and it's extremely opinionated. You get a lot of stuff out of the box. And one of the cool things that you get out of the box is it's real time update the user model on the client and then that update propagates to the server goes to the database and then checks for any change that had been made on the server since the last time you made that edit comes back with any new changes and syncs them using something called operational transformation and the other really cool thing about it is it uses isomorphic javascript so you write server code and you write client code you can also write code in the middle so it's you write a function that can be run either on the client or server because it's all just javascript and it uses a, a module called Browserify to make that code available to both the server and the client. I'll talk about that later when I get into a little bit more habit RPG details. But it saves you a lot of effort because you can use that, for example, in like uh, model validation. So uh, like att- attribute validation. And it was really cool. The Derby's claim over Meteor.js was that it followed all the rules. So Meteor.js got a lot of flack in, in its early days because it was basically breaking all the rules. So like... In order to achieve SEO, they would take like a, a Phantom JS snapshot of the web page and then make that available as an HTML file. They would not use NPM. They, they had their own packaging system. I don't think it even used Node.js proper. It used, I can't remember what the, it's not threads or what is it called? Fibers, something like this. They used some spinoff Node. Anyway, they were breaking a lot of rules and a lot of people didn't like that. So they steered away from that, and a lot of people were keeping their eye on Derby.js, which followed all the rules. So it was using Express, it was using NPM, it was doing proper server-side rendering. Since then, Meteor.js has mitigated all the main concerns that people had with them. So now they're using NPM.js, and I think and that they're doing a lot of things to a, a lot better these days. So I think Meteor is a very good framework by today's standard, uh, especially compared to what it was before. So we were on Derby.js, and Derby at the time was not ready for prime time. It had a lot of scalability issues, and we started to see those concerns really fast. We, we got hit by Reddit and Kotaku and Lifehacker, and we jumped in the number of users we had really fast. And so we started to really see the scalability issues that Derby had. It couldn't scale horizontally at the time, and so we jumped ship and went to Express and Angular. You keep saying we. Is there a team behind it now? There, there is. So the project is open source. Everything's open source. There's, there's three co-founders, and we're still trying to kind of figure out life in the, in the business and finance. There's about 100 to 140 contributors. There's a website, a mobile app, uh, a Chrome extension, and then a few other little utilities. That's really cool. So I had never heard of Derby.js. So now you're on Express. Are you using MeanStack or using a different database? So we're using the MeanStack, Angular, Express, Mongoose. There is a MeanJS framework now 
I feel like I will make my next, I'll, I'll do my next project on the Meme.js framework. It's kind of, it does a lot of Rails kind of scaffolding. It gives you generators on the CLI and it uses the whole mean, the, the mean stack. And it will, you know, you can say like generate a resource, like generate the resource user and it'll create the model, it'll create the API routes and then it'll create the HTML page with the associated Angular JS code. We are not using that framework, but we're using the conceptual mean stack. And we're very, very pleased with it. How much work was it to convert it from uh, DerbyJS to, uh, to Express? It was a lot of work. Fortunately, because DerbyJS used, it actually uses Express on the back end and NPM, we were able to retrofit most of the back end code. And the front end code is quite similar to AngularJS. It's a little bit more handlebarsy. So we could convert a lot of that too, but we just kind of had to like wire together since it, or since DerbyJS is, has this whole real time socket IO modifications of the model in the browser that propagates directly to the server. We had to create all the API routes and then string together, of course, like propagation to the server when things are edited on the client. At the time, our, our biggest contenders were Meteor. And I think we avoided that route because we didn't want to make the, hit the same issues we were basically hitting with Derby. Sales.js was something that was being considered. And then we were also looking at Firebase with Angular Fire. We did not go that route because we needed a lot more direct control over API routes. Since we have a lot of other properties besides the website, such as the mobile app and the Chrome extension. And a lot of the value of Habit RPG derives from integration with other projects. So people have created like GitHub integration so that when you com- you make a commit to GitHub, then you get points in Habit RPG. And people have created Anki integration so that when you review your flashcards, you get points. And if you don't review your flashcards for a day, you lose points, etc. So a very solid kind of proper RESTful API was very important from the get-go. So that's why we went with the Express, the, the standard mean stack instead of Angular JS or I mean, uh, Angular Fire or Meteor or Sales or anything like that. Um, you mentioned that you ran into kind of some performance problems. Um, what kind of traffic do you have now? And what's, what's kind of the ability being on the mean stack to handle that? I'd, I'd be interested to hear kind of some of the stats there if you have any. Yeah, we have about... Um, a little bit hard to, to analyze our, our user base. We're not yet tracking mobile traffic and we're still trying to get like a proper breakdown of active users and stuff. But we have um, about 40,000 active users. We have four, over 400,000 total. And then any, any time, it's just probably like 300 users on the site. It's not a whole lot. But Derby was breaking down at, at that point. Big reason was because you couldn't add instances. And the big reason for that was because it was using Socket.io and it had its own authentication strategy. So you couldn't kind of round robin requests on, for a single user with multiple instances. And, and what I'm thinking of is Heroku. So right now we're on Heroku. And anytime we get a big traffic search, uh, every once in a while we'll get like a life hacker will post something about us or Reddit life pro tips or one of these things or productivity will post about it. And we'll get a big surge in traffic. And we just add a dyno on Heroku. Everybody's familiar with that. And you just add an instance and it works out of the box with Express. So... That allows us to just scale up and scale down horizontally, and it's really easy that way. And I think Derby has since mitigated a lot of the concerns with a lot of the issues they had with horizontal scaling, but I'm, I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've checked up on that project, about a year and a half. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how active the project is anymore. 
Why Angular? We talked about a lot of frameworks here and kind of the pros and cons on them, but why Angular for this particular solution? The two big reasons were, one, Angular was the most similar to the current stack we were on, so it was the easiest migration path. But the biggest reason was it had the biggest mind share. It was just far and away the most popular up-and-coming framework at the time. Backbone was still the most popular front-end framework at that time, but I just I couldn't get into Backbone. It was a little just too, too slim for me. It didn't do enough work. So Angular and Ember were the two front-end contenders. And at that point, it was just a popularity contest. And I know that that's not the right way to go about it necessarily, but I think it's telling when something is substantially more popular than its alternatives. It's got more mind share. It's got more modules, documentation, resources. Yeah, I, I think popularity is actually a really valid thing in this space because the biggest complaint about a lot of these uh, libraries out here, and, and sorry if I interrupt you, is that we get a, a lot of this, you know, flavor of the week kind of feeling on JavaScript libraries and understanding why and what the value is and the benefit is, is really difficult sometimes to evaluate in this area. So I think knowing that that's a popular choice, not just being popular, I mean, your buddy did it, but I assume you mean, you know, because the community at large and businesses are adopting it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a very valid reason for going down the road. Yeah, definitely. And just GitHub traction and conversations on podcasts and stuff. Actually, and like I said uh, before off the air that I listened to, I've been listening to JavaScript Jabber since the beginning. And that seemed to start to come up more and more was AngularJS versus its alternatives. And you just start to see it kind of <laughs> popping up throughout the communities. And not even popularity per se, but I mean, I think really like ecosystem. And I think that's really kind of a big thing is, you know, having a vibrant community and an ecosystem. It just makes it, you know, so much nicer to, to get into a technology. And you know, so having, you know, a lot of, you know, commits and, and activity and support, I think just, you could say popularity, but I prefer to think of it as, as kind of an ecosystem. Yeah, that, that's a better way to say that. I agree. It's more about you want to make sure you're not the only guy in the world doing this thing, right? Yes. It's, it's so important. I can look up any, any single question I've ever had or pitfall or issue with AngularJS, I've found a Stack Overflow you know, somebody else with the same issue, and I'm able to solve it with some boilerplate code or a module. Whereas when I was on Derby, I had to custom build to most of the issues that I was experiencing. And it, it was nice because people were following my projects, like I built the authentication module for Derby, but it, it just was too much overhead at the time. So, so how much experience did you have with Angular when you, when you started this? I mean, was this something you had done a couple projects with, or was this your first endeavor? It was my first endeavor. And how long did it take getting going? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people out there trying to get into Angular. Was this a day? Was this a year? <laughs> how long did it take you get getting moving? It was about a week to get started the flow going in that migration process, getting up to snuff on Angular. Like I said, it, it was quite similar to Derby. And I think m many of the front-end NBCs are quite similar to each other nowadays. Like Ember isn't a far cry from Derby. I mean, from, from Angular. So... Once you've familiarized yourself with one of these MVCs, then it's not very difficult to become acquainted with the, the next. I think that's, a, that's really interesting, too, because that's kind of the same perspective I have, is that the innovation that we've seen in the JavaScript space and in technology in general, when something new comes out, a lot of times in the past, it's been a completely different way of looking at something. And if you look at the most popular, most... Um, what did you say, Lucas? Not popular, but most... Uh, Vibrant, ecosystem-esque frameworks. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas is our, our eloquence expert, so. <laughs> Good terminology there. Good terminology. If you look at all, the, all that and you think about it as, as a whole, like Ember and React and Angular and all this, 
they're all accomplishing the same thing. There's innovations in the way to do it, but I think in the thing that they're solving, I think because there's so many people attacking that particular area, that kind of just proves that that's a space that needs a solution. Yeah, totally. And to piggyback on that, John, if you don't mind me, just kind of an anecdotal story is I had an opportunity to, about a year and a half ago, actually have lunch with Yehuda Katz. And so this was kind of when there was this big, like, angular ember beef going on. It was Brian Ford and I, we were at a conference, and we were talking about kind of... A cage match between Brian and Yehuda? Yeah, it was was (laughs) I'd I'd pay to see that. It was. (laughs) I would too. We were on a panel, and it was mostly civil. Then we went and had lunch, and we were talking about Ember and, and Angular, and we kind of just realized that we were trying to solve the same problem. Just philosophically, we were coming at it from a different way. And much to my delight, it, you know, it kind of ended it like, okay, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. You know, let's high five, and you know, really nice to meet you. And kind of the convergence was is that we're trying to solve the same exact thing. You're just coming at it from one end, and we're coming at it from the other end. Yeah, I agree. And having competition out there, it really validates the existence of what you're doing, too. Because if you're the only guy in the game, you got to start wondering, too. Right. You know, first of all, am I going to be able to push the envelope and know who's competing with me? But second, is this really a valid case if I'm the only one out there? Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to talk about the mobile app. And I'm going to be on a, a upcoming JavaScript Jabber uh, with the Ionic team, Max from Ionic, about the mobile app. But we're using PhoneGap, and we're using the Ionic framework, which is based on Angular JS, and it's a mobile web UI framework. So it gives you kind of like slide out menus and performance scrolling, and you tap on an item in the mobile app, and it'll bring you into that item's details page and stuff. So if anybody's familiar with jQuery mobile, it's very similar to that, but it's the UI. Better. better. <laughs> yeah. To look more native on both iOS and Android. It's a lot more performance, and in, and it follows modern standards. And it's also written on Angular. So one of the coolest things that I picked up from Derby was this isomorphic JavaScript uh, paradigm. And using the module Browserify. It's an NPM module called Browserify. And what it does is you write code for Node.js uh, on the server using require statements. And you run Browserify against that file on the CLI, and they have a gulp and a grunt package for it. And it will convert it into a JavaScript file that can be included on the browser. And then all those functions that you had written for the server are now available on the browser and does a lot of complex logic to determine like what cannot be feasibly included on the client, such as like FS package. And it will basically, um, it'll like stub out the functions of the FS package so that they're not run on the browser and stuff like this. So what that allowed us to do is we have a common library called habit RPG shared. And since all our properties are written in JavaScript, you can see why that's important between the browser and the client. So we can share a lot of code between the server and browser. And it's important for Habit RPG because we're doing a lot of complex kind of stats. Like you, you push a button and you get some hit points and you lose some experience and you level up and you hit the, the monster. He loses hit points and you, you find a random drop and you get a sword and all this stuff. And we want that to be calculated on the client first for performance. So you see it all happen all at once. And then that operation sent up to the server and then this replicated on the server with the exact same code. So using Browserify, we're able to do that with this common library. Well, we're also able to use the, that common library on the Chrome extension. 
And then as well on mobile app, because the mobile app is PhoneGap using Ionic. It's all JavaScript. And so the mobile app is quite slim. There's not a whole lot of code in our mobile repository. And once again, it's open source. So it has as its, as a Bower dependency, Habit RPG shared, the common library. And it just reuses all that code. So Habit RPG shared constitutes about 80% of our code throughout all our properties. And it's just included in, in every single property. And it saves us like a tremendous amount of time. And all our developers, since it's all one language, they can just switch between the, the different properties. If they experience a bug on mobile, they, you know, because they're using the mobile app themselves, they experience a bug on mobile, they switch over to the mobile app, and they fix the bug. Very likely that bug was in the shared repository. And then that bug fix gets propagated up to the website for free because it's shared between all the properties. Now, so are you using any, are you using any native features on the phone with this? We aren't. We haven't found a need yet. For, for any of the device's capabilities, we will end up using notifications. So like at the end of the day, it's going to ping you and say, you haven't checked off any of your dailies. You're going to get hurt at the end of the night if you don't log in now. But for now, we're not actually using any native capabilities. That's okay. Because I was wondering if you're using like something like uh, NG Cordova, for example, which works great with Ionic. Right. The only one I saw was the keyboard plugin. Are you were, are there, have any other modules been released yet? Uh, there's a couple in there, but there's just things for like, you know, vibration and things like that for it. But I can imagine keyboard to be one or even camera for some of the RPG that you might want to take. Let's say one of your habits is shaving. <laughs> take a picture <laughs> of yourself every day while you're shaving. <laughs> so, proof to like anybody you're in a challenge with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's that uh, November challenge every year? Um, no shave November. No shave. <laughs> so, and then one of the other cool pieces with this common library is that because the mobile app is using AngularJS by means of Ionic framework. We're able to put services and directives directly into the shared repository and then share actual AngularJS code between our website and our mobile app. So there's a lot of code sharing going on. And I think that's really what makes HabitRPG as a case study very interesting is the HabitRPG shared repository. One of the questions I had was about the uh, contributors on this. So you've got some folks that you mentioned here, but what's the process somebody wants to get involved in uh, contributing? We've been a little bit cavalier about accepting contributions. There's this, a, a proper process for going through this. So Habit RPG is a, um, is a commercial product. So the proper way to go about accepting contributions in an open source commercial product, there's a book, something, I can't remember what it's called, but something about open source and IP. There's a four-part process. The first is having a license, and every open source project should just have some sort of license. And that just ensures that it's going to continue to be open source. And oh, tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The second piece is contributor license agreement, and that just makes sure that anybody who contributes to your project, it kind of protects yourself so that anybody who contributes to your project can't pull a quickie on you. So every major open source project has a contributor license agreement. AngularJS has a contributor license agreement. And basically what it will say is like, so Google owns AngularJS, and Oracle could have some clause in their employment uh, manual that says if you contribute code to an open source project on the clock, then we own part of that open source project. And that makes sense because you're on Oracle time, you're working on some personal project, then it's partly theirs. So Google's uh, contributor license agreement for AngularJS will say something to the effect of if you're contributing to our project, no, in fact, 
the company on whose behalf you're coding does not own our project and you agree to that. Things like this. There's a third part, which is more like a, a 2B, which is a corporate contributor license agreement. And I believe AngularJS actually might be using something to that effect. And then the fourth piece is if you're a commercial open source project, which Habit RPG is, AngularJS is not, you have a copyright assignment form, which basically says the code that you have contributed is granted uh, as the property of the company you're contributing for. And a lot of, obviously, uh, open source contributors don't like that, but they, for the most part, understand that if you are a commercial product, and that's really to protect yourself from, like, lawsuits. So those are the four pieces. We're working on catching up on a lot of that, but for most projects, a contributor license agreement is sufficient. Anyway, as far as just technical side, obviously, the proper way for handling uh, lots of pull requests is to have a good testing in place. And then using Travis CI to make sure that every pull request checks out. And it has a little checkbox with X to tell you each pull request status uh, against the repository's tests. Did um, you say tests? I like hearing the word tests. Can you say that again? Tests. <laughs> <laughs> Our testing is a little bit poor. We're, we're, it's a project we're working on getting up to snuff, but at least it's sufficient to tell whether or not something will really bust the system. And that saved our hide in many, many cases. One fun thing we do is because we're a gamification. So, so what Habit RPG is, it's incentivizing good behavior, but in the form of a video game. This notion is called gamification, and it's all the rage these days. I had no idea what gamification was going into the project. I learned the term through the project. So we're a gamification system, so we it's kind of corny, but we incentivize contributions. They get this in-game, like this really rare in-game gear for each pull request they submit, and sometimes contributors like that. We're getting toward the end of our time. Is there anything in particular that you've run into with this that was, was hard or tricky or not standard AngularJS that you had to do? Well, I will say, um, because we're not... F- Following strict guidelines, we have contributors from all over the place, and everybody's like in, at varying levels and ex- expertise in AngularJS and Express. And sometimes we get pull requests that's not proper REST on us on the back end, and all these things. The next time around, I think I will investigate the MeanJS framework. I do believe in opinionated paradigms, so I, I really do like the Rails model of kind of forcing you to abide by strict principles, because. As a result, after merging many pull requests, uh, sometimes we get a ticket that says, you know, this REST API endpoint isn't proper and I wouldn't have expected it. Can you change it? Or, you know, this AngularJS code, it took me forever to find it because it's kind of spaghetti. So next time around, I think I would personally investigate this mean.js framework. All right. Well, should we get to the picks? I, I covered all the points that I'd wanted to cover, so it's perfect. Awesome. All right, well, let's do the picks then. Joe, do you want to start us off with the picks? You betcha. Today, I'm going to pick a couple of games. First is the the Robot Turtles game, which is for sale right now on ThinkGeek, and I think you can get other places, but basically, it's a game for kids. It's about turtles, but it actually teaches them to program, and they have no idea. They're just organizing cards and stuff and making their turtles run around on the board, but it actually teaches them looping and um, conditionals and all that sort of stuff. It's only 25 bucks. You can pick it up on ThinkGeek. There'll be a link in the show notes. So it's really a trick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trick. Yeah, you can also get it on Amazon. Then the second game is one that I just noticed at the local game store. 
just had come out. I haven't picked up my copy yet, but it's based on the same system, the legendary system that is the Marvel card game that's really fun. I played the Marvel card game, legendary card game that's really super fun. And this is called Legendary Encounters, which is basically the same system, but it's set in the Aliens universe. And, you know, you're playing from the Aliens movie. And so you've got Ripley and Hicks and all those guys, and you're playing Aliens card game. And I love Aliens, and I love card games, so super excited about that one. And then my final pick is going to be a TV show that my kids have been way into for a long time. And as every, every time I watch an episode, I laugh and watch something else it's, or a skit. It's just like Saturday Night Live, but it's actually done here at BYU, and it's called Studio C. So it's put on by a bunch of BYU students, and it's a super, becoming super, super popular. And their skits are just absolutely hilarious. Some of the funniest skits. And my kids love it, and I've been watching it and really getting into it. So that'll be my third and final pick. Very cool. BYU alumnus right here. John, what are your picks? So I've got a couple of picks in the, in the gaming theme of things. Uh, my son and I seem to play an inordinate amount of hours of Lego Star Wars. And uh, I'm putting that as a pick in there because it's just a great way to get onto your favorite console, Xbox, PS3, or whatever, and just have a lot of fun with any age. And, you know, my son's five, and my daughters range all the way up to 15, and we all play together. It's, uh, it's just a lot of fun because... We get to go in and smash things. And then afterwards, we get to go like out to like the mall or one of the parks and pretend we're Legos smashing different things on the uh, sidewalks. So as long as your son doesn't think people are things you can smash, then it's a good thing to play. My second pick is going to be more on the lines of a, a movie. And I think that Aaron picked this earlier, but I just recently got to see it. So uh, I wanted to pick it again. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just an amazing, fun movie to watch. Uh, the comedy in there really... Uh, drew me in. And something specific I really liked in it is I have some family members who are actually have um, Asperger syndrome. And some of the context of the characters, I think it's Drax in the movie. He's not saying he has Asperger's, but some of his behaviors and mannerisms are very much uh, along the lines of Asperger's. <laughs> yeah. And it made my family members who have that kind of really relate to that person going, wow, a person like that, kind of like me. And I see that. And that's the hero, one of the heroes of the movie. So that was a really darn cool. I really appreciated that. Just so that you know, when, when we watched that movie, my wife said that I remind her of Drax. Because you're so awesome and large? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, when they're sitting down and he asks when they, he says, when did we establish that? And his answer, I swear I've said that exact same phrase to my wife several times. I don't want to say it because it'll spoil a really funny line for anybody who hasn't seen it. Yeah, de definitely check that movie out. And like the stuff where it's like, you know, hey, that's over your head. And he's like, nothing's over my head. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the big shirtless tattoo guy? Yes, yeah. yes. Yep. And you can see the resemblance between him and Joe if you oh, look totally. at the picture side by side. Right, right. <laughs> yep. All right, Lucas, what are your picks? So my picks are, speaking of games, I've been playing uh, Vim Adventures kind of on and off as I try to learn them. And I just finished, actually, uh, Lock-In by John Scalzi this week. Super awesome book. Uh, Will Wheaton did a great job narrating it. And then uh, one more shout-out. Uh, Joe did a uh, super awesome job helping me out on my book with some testing questions that I have. And so, again, back to the ecosystem. You know, it's really awesome being a programmer and having, you know, good friends with, with good ideas. So thanks a lot, Joe. You're very welcome. Yay! I Yay! Love testing. <laughs> 
All right, I've got just one pick this week. And this was something that was picked on JavaScript Jabber, and I went and signed up for it. It's called Loot Crate. I've gotten two months' worth now. What it is is they pack a whole bunch of fun and interesting things into a box and send it to you every month. It's not that expensive. And so the first month I did it, I got villains. I got a pair of socks, but I also got, like, a Darth Vader keychain, and I got a whole bunch of other stuff. Last month I got a Rocket Raccoon comic book that was kind of a special edition for them. I also got a Groot bobblehead, since we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. I got a little Ninja Turtle thing. The Groot bobblehead is funny. My kids, whenever they come in my office, they're like, what's that? And then once I tell them, or my son, he just saw it, and Groot, you know, because I took him to see the movie. But then they've all asked if they can have it. And, you know, it's like, no, this is Dad's toy. (laughs) So just a bunch of stuff like that. There were some posters in the villains one. The next one is space uh, shows. So it's Star Trek, Star Wars, and Firefly. And so I'm really excited to see what's coming in that one. You don't actually know what you're going to get until you get it. So, uh, you know, kind of interesting. But it's just fun. It's it's a nice thing that it's like, oh, I get this. And I, you know, I get a little excited for it for a week when I know it's coming. So anyway, that's my pick. Tyler, what are your picks? I've got a few. First one is Zenhub IO. It turns your GitHub issue queue into a Trello style Kanban board. And that way you can sort things as far as uh, priority and uh, stuff like that. The next one is Anki, A-N-K-I. It's a flashcards app on your phone and computer. It's the de facto flashcards app. And what it does special is this thing called spaced repetition. It's this algorithm designed by psychologists, I believe, for when you should be exposed to the next card for optimal memorization. And I use it for just random JavaScript tips and just coding tips and business tips and stuff like that. My last one is Pomodoro. It's a productivity technique where you work for, I think it's 20 minutes or or 30 minutes, and then you take a break for five minutes. So it helps you minimize distractions. So what I do is I code. They've got uh, desktop apps. The one I use is Hugo Landini's Pomodoro. And you hit a hotkey to start the timer for 20 minutes. And you code for 20 minutes without any distractions. Don't answer emails. Don't look at your text messages. And then as soon as that timer's up, you get five minutes to catch up on everything else. So then you uh, answer your text messages and uh, answer emails, check Facebook. And then as soon as that five minutes up, you go back to 20 minutes of work. And it's really, really effective strategy for increasing productivity. It's probably the thing that has increased my productivity the most in life, even more so than Habit RPG. And I've been using it for a very long time. So I very highly recommend Pomodoro. When you said Anki, I was thinking the Anki drive uh, cars that they showed at WWDC last year. (laughs) I think it's Anki like the Egyptian symbol, maybe. uh, I found the website. I was just... just... (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Tyler. It was fun to talk about. And uh, if people want to go look at the source code or ask you questions about it, what are the best ways to do that? Websites, habitrpg.com. Codebases are github.com forward slash habitrpg. You can see all the various properties there, the website, the Google app, the Chrome extension, etc. So that would be the best way. Or, or through the contact page on habitrpg.com. Very cool. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Working and learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at LevelUpCon, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. 
Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.